Like I said, welcome to today's podcast. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. As you know, a lot of you may not know that I saw... uh, life insurance and real estate and so forth and so on. And one of the books that I read or touched bases with uh, uh, Clement Stone, which was pretty good. He was the the mentor of another guy I followed, and his name is Frank Betger. That's probably one of the first books I ever read in insurance, since insurance was new to me, and I started working for a an agency in Los Angeles called the Civil Service. And what they do is they will provide annuities and uh, insurances and discounts to all the military people. And I was just a fresh 23, 24-year-old cat that wanted a Rolls Royce. (laughs) So I read that book, the the book called... um, how I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling Insurance by Frank Betger. I think the title's been changed. Betger, B-E-T-T-E-G-R, like you're going to go get the book. And then the other book I read was Napoleon's Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And he has a formula there. <clears throat> I know that I have the, the ability to achieve the object of my definite purpose in life. Therefore, I demand of myself continuous actions and performance to perform what it dictates Yada, yada, yada. But it gets to a point where it says, I will eliminate hatred, envy, jealousy, selfishness, and pride, and develop a love for all humanity. Because I know that a negative attitude can never bring me success. I will sign my name to this formula and repeat it out loud once a day with full faith that will gradually influence my thoughts and actions. So let's slow down a little bit. Those words, if you recall, Napoleon Hill was a young man that got hired by, uh, I think, Carnegie Hall, the the steel mill guy in the 1920s, 1930s. And he told him, I'd like for you to go interview Firestone, uh, Rockefellers, go interview Edison, uh, Ford, all these guys, Hunts, Hunts, Kraft, all these guys that did something you know, the soap companies that did something to propel humanity, to help humanity. And so interesting, he went and he would live with them for two, three weeks. Would you get that? And write down notes and they go and have a lot of fun. And he compiled his book for 20 years and he came up with this formula. And the fact is that you have to love without any resistance there was another book I read, too, talking about resistance. This other guy, a military guy that went to World War II, he came back, and he was fascinated by the psychologist's questions the psychologist was uh, asking him. And he, uh, he realized that, uh, that they were trying to tap into his subconscious mind, so he thought about it. And when he came home from the service, he had about 10 kids, and he noticed that he couldn't get math through them. You know, there was... Uh, they would lose their focus. 
So he started finding out what was the resistance. If they knew the answer already or they, they were geniuses, he just considered the kids being bright. And sure enough, he started practicing with them, and he ended up writing a book called, uh, um, his name is Joe Silva, Mexican-American, a war veteran. Uh, he passed away already, but he, he started the, the Silva Mind Control Method. And we have it in uh, the 12-step program. We have it in step 11, which we concentrate and meditate and, and, uh, and imagine. Believing and imagine are, all, are basically the same thing. If you can imagine it, like what the other guys say, Napoleon Hill, on his formula, he says to 30 minutes a day, imagine the thing that you're getting. <clears throat> There's a new book called out by Cook. I uh, forget the guy's first name, but he trains athletes in the Olympics, and he does just that. He goes, imagine getting that gold ribbon. Imagine getting that gold medallion. Uh, see yourself getting it, and then stay there. And, of course, work towards it. Boy, <clears throat> but getting back to the, our original guy, Clement Stone, uh, I heard that he would say to himself, just do it 50 times before he went to sleep. Just do it 50 times when he got up. So I tried it this morning. I just said, well, I just said like 12 of them, and then I said another 12 and 12. Before you know it, I had my 50. In my mind, I thought it was a big ordeal. 50 times to say, just do it, just do it, just do it, Fernando. Fernando, just do it. So I did it, and I just did it. I, all of a sudden, I got the idea to empty my, my truck on the sides. To em I'm over here running around 4 or 5 in the morning trying not to make noise for the neighbors. I emptied the, my desk, all the materials in there, because just something popped in my head and said, you need to clean your desk out. Maybe <clears throat> that's the deterrent that's holding me back, a very... I have big old grand plans to do, and I'm probably making mistakes on those plans that are costing me money. Like, for instance, yesterday I gave a stainless steel um, barbecue away. And I said, oh, just because the rust on, inside the pipes, I could have changed those for about 80 bucks, brand new ones, and shined up the rest because I have a, I, it was a gas barbecue. It's not a regular barbecue. I wanted to make my own portable island, you know, with a sink, and then that it goes from propane to natural gas. So, boy, what an idea! But I, I didn't have the idea till I I gave it to the iron guy. He came and picked it up, trying to be a nice guy so they can like me. Anyway, let it go, let it go, let it go. God bless the man. So, getting back to Clement Stone, I did it. So it seems to work for me. To thank. God, just do it. I thank you, God. I just do it. I'll add the thank you, God, in it because I can sure use his help on thinking, moving, and doing, and and looking exciting, having an exciting life. Have, have a fun existence, folks. You know, personal development, that's what I understand my program to be. What my God wants to do is development, always constructing us and uh, loving others as they are.
maybe just being an example because a lot of people are an example to me by their actions not by what they say a lot of people for instance um less he's he was my example he was always out there taking a walk hour and a half enjoying his his thing oh <clears throat> the neighbor just brought me some chili <clears throat> thank you very much you go home you go home and take it go back to bed no, I'm going to take a shower and get ready to go somewhere. All right, thank you so much. Appreciate it for breakfast. Yeah, see, it pays to be kind, guys. Um, all right, we got it. <clears throat> Just do it is the name of this podcast. Moving right along, I wanted to read today, July 6th, uh, When Fate Hands Us a Lemon... Let's try to make lemonade. Hey, look, Dale Carnegie. That's the guy that hired Napoleon Hill. The, uh, the guy who gave millions to libraries. His money. He, made, he gave millions across in Europe for libraries for education. When fate hands us a lemon, let's try to make lemonade. Ah, incredible. This, I'm reading from Keep It Simple, a little book from Hazleton. Our illness is one big lemon, but our recovery is lemonade. None of us sign up to be drunks or druggies, but we all sign up for recovery. That's when the happiness began. Yes, there will be pain, but the joy will fall, far outweigh the pain. The joy will far outweigh, outweigh the pain. The sweet joy of recovery becomes our drink, our lemonade. And do we drink? We drink a lot. We drink spirituality. <coughs> Excuse me. I just finished working out. We drink spirituality, folks. Tons of it. We have new friends. We love ourselves now. Our higher power is fun to be with. Our family and much more. We are fun to be around. We are creative when we give joy, love, and help to others and to ourselves. If your lemonade isn't sweet enough, add more program to it. And Fernando says, if your lemonade isn't sweet enough, just start thanking God. He will give you peace and make it sweet for you. And that's what he wants. That's the missing ingredient. We're not thanking God for bitter things. <clears throat> Prayer for the day. God... I pray it's easy to forget how much you, you've given me. Thank you for all the joy and love you have given me. Thank you for allowing me to access to it and enjoy it. Action for today. Today I'll write down what part of recovery I really enjoy. I will then share this list with my group or a friend. Today I will write down part of recovery I really enjoy. I will then share this list with my group or friend. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I can keep going on and on. For instance, writing three things you're grateful for in the morning in your journal and three things um, you accomplished in the evening. Just anything. Took a shit. You accomplished it. If you don't have anything to put on there. But stay on the positive side. We're doing something. We're pushing a boulder down down the mountain and it won't stop. Um because we're just constantly uh, accentuating the positive okay we can see forever in this program 
Look, guys, we're working hard going meeting after meeting. Let's get effective at every area of our lives. You know, we have the keys to the kingdom now through this program. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray out, please, with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. I'm going to have my breakfast, guys. God bless you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast. Reading of the Grapevine. Stories from the Grapevine by a new sponsee. Please enjoy it. This is the activity that I have him doing. He's got about two weeks sober. Anonymously, of course. So please, let's go ahead and open it with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Here we go. Devil's Rejects. Sobriety can be tough at an isolated oil camp, but these guys stepped up and made AA happen and even found time to celebrate. I'm 44 and I've worked in the oil industry since 1992. I got sober young in AA in 1995. During my first 10 years in the program, I was running from 100 forms of fear. I was focused on my career and obsessed with service in AA. At the same time, I was living an inversion of the 12 steps on all levels of my life, a kind of AA anarchy. When I turned 30, I finally got enough courage to take my career to a greater skill level, which meant I needed to make some social sacrifices. I started working in oil camps throughout Western Canada, including Matanoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta where I spent most of that time, I'm sorry, where I spent most of that time. The last few years, I've worked closer to home here in British Columbia. There's not a lot of recovery in work camps. Meditation, imagination, and creativity are useful ways for me to deal with all the isolation. I've been in and out of just about every camp in Western Canada, and to be perfectly frank, I mostly white-knuckled my sobriety for those first 10 years. I wouldn't wish that kind of life on my worst enemy. Between each job, which might last anywhere between two weeks and two years, I'd go back to my home city to recharge and break down emotionally within the protective circle of my AA program. For the last year, I've been, nor I've been in Northern British Columbia in a work camp up near Alaska. The camp is on a tiny island connected by one lane road to the mainland. When the weather's unusually poor, the road gets washed out and we mainly just survive until we have access to the airport, which is about two hours away. I work in a dry camp, meaning there's no alcohol, the term being a throwback to the days of prohibition. The camp is so strict with its rules and regulations that we call it Camp Alcatraz. When products like alcohol and drugs are supposedly unavailable, contraband flourishes and the debauchery of the people in the camp is even worse than it is in those oil camps that allow the designated drinking establishment on their premises. Two of the younger guys from my town heard I was up here at Camp Alcatraz so they hopped on the job to come meet me with the with I'm sorry to come meet with me the last year. When they found me in the camp, they told me they had respectively 18 months sober and six years sober. They knew I had a lot of time sober, so they asked me to help them start an AA meeting at the camp. 
As much as I would love my solitude, I couldn't turn down this request. We called our meeting the Devil's Rejects. Word traveled in the camp and to the outside world, and our numbers grew quickly. We were able to arrange for space for a meeting in the janitorial maintenance room about the size of a walk-in closet. It's a great size room for our membership, which is about six people. We have attracted a few newcomers since we started our group. One moved on when he decided the living conditions were inappropriate, but he continues to attend meetings in his hometown after being introduced to the 12 steps in our camp. Another newcomer is gradually coming up to his first year cake next month. Another fellow is coming up on two years. We have a new hire who just started the job and is attending our group. He has six months in. We have lost a few other members, men with multiple years, as we gained a few new faces. A month from now, with the grace of God and the support of the fellowship that has grown up around me, I will be celebrating 24 years sober. Thank you, AA. Just doing the best we can up here. Rob S. Burnaby, British Columbia. ways to have a sober holiday there's a little flyer passed around that many aa meetings every year called 12 tips on keeping your holiday season sober and joyous on it it says many of us have enjoyed the happiest holidays of our lives sober an idea we would never have dreamed of wanted or believed possible when drinking this definitely holds true for me i find the flyer suggestions very valuable i was raised by my mother and grandparents in a home where alcohol was enjoyed responsibly especially during the holidays My parents divorced because of alcohol. It seems that the gene that triggered my disease of alcoholism came from the paternal side of my family. My earliest use of alcohol was at Christmas time. When we were children, my sister and I were allowed to have a small glass of wine mixed with soda on Christmas Eve. The years rolled by. I got drunk on the first time when I was 17. On Christmas Day in 1975, after I had reached the legal drinking age, I was sitting in a local bar with my grandfather. I remember him telling me that having a beer now and then was okay, But don't go getting hooked on it like your old man did, he warned. I promised Grandpa faithfully that I wouldn't even, that I wouldn't, even though I had already gotten drunk on several occasions. Towards the end of the 1970s, my mother and father got remarried and somehow my father stopped drinking on his own. So I became the one with the drinking problem. We were not allowed to have alcohol in the house and our tradition of the Christmas Eve drink was discontinued. After a couple years of happy married life, my mother, who was only in her 40s, died I had helped mom buy our house, excuse me, after a couple years of happy married life, my mother, who was only in her 40s, died. I had helped mom buy our house, so I inherited it. My father left shortly afterwards, and now my sister and I had the house to ourselves. I now had free reign over my drinking, which of course got much worse. I believe that now that mom was gone, there would never be, there would never again be a happy holiday season as long as I lived. After I got a job, As a security guard in a local manufacturing plant, my sister got married and left the house. I was now alone, except for seeing my grandparents for meals and sponging money off of them for dog food and groceries, uh, parentheses, drinking money, and seeing a therapist, my isolation from the rest of humanity was nearly complete. Even when I was in the bars, I kept to myself. I felt that even the professional counseling I was getting wasn't helping. I started to think about suicide. As it happened, two of my fellow guards at work were both members of AA. They knew I was drinking. I had even come into work drunk once, and they shared their stories with me. I had recently found a girlfriend. I decided I didn't want to drink. I didn't want my drinking to mar that relationship, so I asked one of them to take me to an AA meeting. I now know that it isn't a good idea to put conditions on your sobriety because when the relationship ended after two months, so did my sobriety. After a short relapse, I came back to AA and gave it a second chance.
This time I was angry and I argued with my sponsors. I once threw away my big book only to buy another one when I cooled off. I threw away my 12 and 12 too and had to buy another. I acted foolishly. But in spite of that, I've been sober in the program 32 years. And although I still live alone, I am not lonely. I have met many other single people in AA who are enjoying the sober life. Thanks to the fellowship and the 12 tips sheets for the sober holiday, I had found that the Thanksgiving and December holiday season is a time of year to look forward to. I really enjoy helping, I'm sorry, I really enjoy helping decorate our AA hall as well as appearing at Santa Claus at meetings and passing out candy canes. I also love hosting holiday dinners in my home for fellow members as well as other friends who might otherwise have a lonely holiday. I also take great pleasure in worshiping my higher power and celebrating in church and singing in the choir. There is even more happiness for me in ringing and singing carols at Salvation Army Kettles. Performing as Ebenezer Scrooge and Dickens A Christmas Carol both in community theater and on our local radio station is an honor I truly cherish. Parentheses, turns out Scrooge and I have a few... Turns out Scrooge and I have a few selfish traits in common. I get a special joy in seeing newcomers experience a holiday sober for the very first time. I see it. I see to it that they get a copy of the 12 Tips flyer. I also get a tremendous sense of gratitude when we have Thanksgiving dinner at our local AA hall or have coffee and cheesecake at my sponsor's home after an evening of caroling. There's a special feeling of joy at our candlelight AA meeting on New Year's Eve, knowing that... <clears throat> Excuse me, knowing that we've all lived another year sober. We then look with hope to the 365 days ahead. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had difficult times during the holidays, even in sobriety. But I wouldn't trade my worst holidays sober for the best ones of my drinking days. One thing I do know for sure, I'm not lonely at holiday time anymore. Anonymous from uh, Kewanee, Illinois. Eight hundred miles away. Thanks to technology and quick thinking, an isolated alcoholic gets rescued by her group back in Colorado. Currently, I live in a North Dakota town of 200 people. The closest meeting is 50 miles away and is held at 8 p.m. To travel at night is no longer an option for me. After more than three years of being unable to attend meetings with a very limited contact with AA, I drank again. The law placed me into a medical treatment center. At that time, I had been drinking for two months, and the progression of my disease was astronomical. I originally sobered up in AA at age 15 in August of 1980. Many years later, after picking up my 21-year chip, I also picked up a drink. After that, I would sober up for a year or so before I drank again. Twice, I stayed sober for seven years. Every time I went back out to drink, I became involved with the wrong side of the law. Back in 1981, I had been a founding member of an AA group in a small town in Colorado, the Laporte 287 group. For years, this was my home group. It has always been a smaller meeting, averaging about 12 or 13. Um, I'm sorry, it, was always, it, had, it has always been a smaller meeting, averaging about 12 or 13 folks. The group has two candlelight meetings a week and six open meetings total. The group also actively involves itself in service work. Today has been more than three months since I was discharged from treatment here in North Dakota. I was terrified, sick, alone, and desperate the day I was released. I called my old sponsor from the Laporte 287 group back in Colorado. I also called another member from there. She was homebound to, due to hip surgeries. The group was bringing a meeting into her home once a week. I wanted to be a part of the group again so desperately, but now I lived 800 miles away. At first, I thought there was no way I could participate. 
then while on the phone with her, I had an idea. <clears throat> Maybe I could attend the meeting at her home while on speakerphone, which is one of the few features on my smartphone that I understand how to work. We tried it and it went well. I soon discovered the conference call feature and tried calling my sponsor while I was on the phone with my homebound friend. It worked. The meeting at her home was small and all the members either knew me or knew of me. The group and my sponsor agreed that I could attend conference call meetings at both locations, the home group meeting and the meeting at my friend's house. Now I regularly pick up my homebound friend on her phone and we go to the Laporte 287 meeting together by phone. My sponsors are hosts on her phone. Other members support this arrangement and are very inclusive and encouraging. I always look forward to the five minutes of catching up before and after our meetings. This phone connection allowed me to attend the group conscious meeting and a three-hour group inventory. I also attend the meetings of a big book study group and traditions study group. And that's not all. Every Saturday night, I join the candlelight grapevine meeting and I get to have daily contact with my sponsor. My higher power has made this all come about in spite of my doubts and my geographical isolation. Today, one of the most basic tools in my spiritual toolkit is my phone. Life has not been this good to me in years. Barbara B. Binford, North Dakota.
and then the three were to give a significant seed. If it's a song where it's significant. Now that word significant, it really means that it has special meaning to you. It's precious to you. So see a significant seed like this one. That was her significant seed. Now for other people, that's just other words. It's not a big deal. Uh, yep. <laughs> 